Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Jackson Shaver. Yeah, I'm a covenant member here. I'm on the greeting team, and I'm in the Highland CG. Yeah, I'll be reading Amos 2, 6 through 16. Thus says the Lord, for for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar, on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was Hai who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and led you forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish before the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, well family. How are you? Frosty Arctic Saints, welcome to church. Glad you were here. Hey, I want to start off by playing a little word association game. So I'm going to say a word, and I want you to then out loud say a word that most closely associates with that. So for example, if I said salt, you would say pepper. There we go. You ready to play? Here we go. Uh, Bride and macaroni and... Scotty Pippen and, there we go, pumpkin spice latte and, no, it's not Starbucks, it's Yusuf. That's the correct answer. Uh, Texas and Longhorns, there we go. Last one, Justice and, you guys had no idea you'd be taking a quiz today. Welcome to church, right? Justice and mercy, those two words, they go together that all throughout the Bible, we find justice and mercy married together. That in fact, justice and its word cousin righteousness is used over 400 times in the scriptures, right? Often in the context or connected to justice and mercy. That justice and mercy, it's a really big deal in the Bible. That justice and mercy, it's a really big deal to the heart of God. And what is paramount to the heart of God, I believe should be paramount to our hearts as followers of Jesus. Amen? 
right? So when you think about the word justice, sometimes maybe other words come to mind for you. Like when you think about justice, maybe some of you think about judgment, right? You equate justice with judgment, meaning someone should get what they deserve. Or when you think about justice, maybe you think about that Law and Order theme song that's been around for like 36 years, right? Or maybe you think about activism. Or maybe when you think about justice, you actually think about injustice because you see it around you so often. Or maybe you think about a political party or cause, right? Uh, Justice and mercy. They can be kind of confusing for us at times. I think the politicalization of justice and how culture talks about what is just and unjust has really left many of us confused at times, right? This isn't just culture and politics, but maybe even happens in churches as well, that so often many of us have been taught and trained to read the Bible individualistically, meaning that it's just a me and how I read the Bible. And yet we forget that the Bible is written to people, a collection of people for a collective good, not just a singular good, right? Maybe some of you grew up in a church that was overly westernized, meaning it overly emphasized a a me and Jesus only type relationship, a a rightness with God only type relationship. And before you email me later today, please hear me, yes and amen to that. But I wonder if maybe your church taught so much about me and Jesus that it forgot about loving your neighbor. It it so emphasized rightness with God, it neglected to talk about rightness with your neighbor, right? Hear me, Jesus is supposed to be a personal thing, but not a private thing, right? Your faith was never meant to be private. It's meant to be deeply personal and your faith is meant to be lived out. We're called to live out the gospel, both in word and deed. And so I think politics, culture, maybe even church background, all of these combine to create confusion and a lack of clarity and understanding around what is biblical justice and mercy and how are we to live as followers of Jesus. And so we're doing this series called Justice and Mercy. We want to do it every few years to highlight what it means to believe the gospel, what it means to live out the gospel in just and merciful ways. And I think you got the memo. This is going to be election year. It's going to get crazy and weird and cringy. And we want to not just react to stuff. We want to respond from a proper biblical understanding of what justice and mercy is. And here's our hope and prayer for all of us that we would see clearly God's heart for justice and mercy and that we would be a people of justice and mercy. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in Amos chapter 2. And what we want to do is we want to hold Amos chapter 2 up as a mirror to examine our own hearts and lives. And I think what we'll see is that how we see our sin and our need for Jesus will directly shape how we pursue justice and mercy in the world around us, right? That that how you see your sin and how you see your need for Jesus will directly impact and shape how you pursue justice and mercy in the world around us, right? That, That word justice is this idea of making all things right, that the Bible uses this imagery of something that is crooked or broken and you're called to make it straight and whole right? Justice is doing good for those around us by acting with mercy, 
Justice is doing good for those around us by acting with mercy. And so last week, Troy kicked us off in Amos chapter one. If you have not heard that sermon, go back and listen to it because it lays the entire foundation for what we wanna do these next few weeks. But in Amos chapter one, Amos begins, he's a prophet. He begins by naming the sins of the nations that surround Israel. And I have to imagine that Israel, as they're hearing Amos condemn the other nations, Israel's cheering them on going, yes, call them out. Yes, call them out. They get judgment and they get judgment. And then Amos turns to Israel and says, I have a word from the Lord to you. And I imagine in that moment, Israel gets quiet. You see, in that, in that day, as Amos was writing, Israel was a powerful nation. Israel was a wealthy nation. Israel had some prestige and swag on the national landscape. That They were a country that looked attractive. They had it all together. They were powerful and in control. But underneath the surface, Israel was rotting away. That they were a complete mess. And so let's see what Amos says in verse six. He says this, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent, right? This is a poetic and, and prophetic way of saying, y'all got a lot of sin, right? And in Amos chapter one, Amos would, would use the same phrase, but then he would only name one sin for that nation. Here in Amos chapter two, Amos lists seven sins of Israel. He's saying, y'all got a lot of sin. Like how many of you have that coworker at work who when they come to you and say like, hey, can I give you some feedback on that project? You're like, yeah, sure. Then they list 900 ways you can do better, right? Right, Amos is like that coworker. He's just listing the sins of Israel. And, and in the Hebrew mindset, numerology was a really big deal. And so seven, this idea of fullness or completion, he's saying, Israel, you're full of sin. You're full of another four-letter word. Like three of you got that, right? You're full of sin. Look what Amos says next. This is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. What's going on here? Amos is highlighting an ancient practice in the world where if a person could not pay their debts, that at times they would be sold into debt slavery that the disadvantaged and under-resourced are sold into slavery because they couldn't pay their unjust creditors, right? They were poor and they were sold for their inability to pay back the price as something as small as a pair of shoes. That people were treated like transactions. People made in the image of God with worth, value, and dignity, they are treated like shoes. They are dehumanized and degraded. And that angers the heart of God. Do you know what angers the heart of Jesus in the gospel stories? When uptight religious people use and abuse other people and then, you, then cover it with religious hypocrisy. That angers the heart of God. And here Amos is saying, Israel, you are re being religious 
hypocrites. You are treating people like transactions. This is a failure to see all people made in the image of God. This is a failure to care for each person, to treat people with worth, value, and dignity. And I think you only get to this spot when you see that you are superior to other people. You only get to this spot by treating people as transactions that can benefit you. And this is a lie from the enemy meant to puff up your ego and cause harm to others. And I think we do this all the time, friends, right? This friend doesn't benefit me anymore. So we move on, right? This marriage doesn't benefit or serve my needs only anymore. So we move on. That this CG doesn't cater to my preferences anymore. So we bounce, right? We treat people transactionally and we fail to see the worth and the value and dignity of everybody when we only think about ourselves and the needs of ourselves. Remember, justice is doing good for others around you through acts of mercy, right? I think Amos 2 is like a mirror. If we hold it up to ourselves, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we overlook and dehumanize others with our words, our thoughts, and our actions? Right? Like right now in your life, who do you overlook and treat as transactional? Who do you overlook and treat as transactional? Amos is calling out Israel for their failure to see and care for people. But it's not just a failure to see and care for uh, people. Look what Amos says next in verse seven. He says, they trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. Right? To trample is to stomp down, it's to grind something into dust. Right? This is not just a failure to care for others, it is actively putting obstacles in the way of others. That Israel is actively putting obstacles in the way of other people to keep them oppressed and pressed down. And Amos is calling out that injustice. Right? Israel had this posture and this mentality that says that if I am powerful and rich, I can walk over you. That if I am powerful and rich and wealthy, and if I think I'm right, I don't have to care what you say. I don't have to treat you as human. Y'all, this still exists today. This is elitism and tribalism. Thinking one side is better, thinking one party is better, more powerful, or always right. Israel calls out, or Amos calls out Israel for this sin. This is a total disregard for the poor and the oppressed. It's a complete failure to love your neighbor as yourself. Look back at verse seven, what it says next. It says, father and son, they use the same girl and so profane my holy name. Here, Amos is not just calling out Israel's sexual immorality. He's calling out their sexual exploitation and abuse of others that Amos is building a case against Israel, showing how their sins are piling up on one another, that failing to see people made in the image of God leads to treating people like transactions, which then leads to denying justice to people, which then leads to exploitation and abuse. And to make it worse, Israel was called to be a holy nation, They were called to be a light to the nations to help other people walk in the holy ways of God. And yet, what are they doing? They are profaning God's holy name. That word profane, it means to like dilute or defile, to take something as holy and to treat it like it's unholy. 
right? Think about this. When a, a company drops a spokesperson or an influencer because they're afraid they're going to cause reputational harm to their brand, Amos is saying, you say you follow Yahweh, and yet your actions betray your mouth. The way you live is causing reputational harm to Yahweh, so to speak. And then verse eight makes this really clear. It says, they lie down beside every altar on garments taken in a pledge, that in the house of their God, they drink wine uh, taken as fines. Here, Amos is saying, even the religious people fail to do justice and mercy, that they're worshiping other gods, that the sandals they're taking from others, that the fines they're imposing on others, they are enjoying it for their own benefit. They are acting as people without mercy. They're drinking wine, toasting their greatness, Amos would say. Get this, they are around the things of God and are comfortable sinning around the things of God. They are sinning in the light, not just the darkness. And that's brazen, right? What's Amos getting at here? You and I, we have a sin problem. Our hearts our actions, our words, and our thoughts. They are all tainted by sin in big ways and in small ways. And I know even right now in a room this size, when I say the word sin, you bristle at that. We don't like that type of word. That it's actually, some of us think it's old-fashioned, it's archaic, it's backwards, it's not progressive, but it's because we don't like to look at our sin, let alone name our sin. So we find creative ways to call sin something else. We call it an error. We call it a mistake. We call it a faux pas. We call it brokenness. And please hear me, all those things can be appropriate at times. But let's be honest, like Israel, at times we can be comfortable with our own sin. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to name it. And so when someone brings it up, we tend to minimize it or we compare ourselves to others that I'm not as bad as him, or at least I don't do that like her. We play the comparison game because we don't want to face it or name it or stare at the mirror and name reality, right? We don't want to look at sin. Here's the deal. If you think you are an okay person, then you probably think you only need okay type grace. If you think you are an okay person, then you probably think you only need okay type grace, as opposed to seeing your deep need for the fullness of God's grace and mercy in your life, right? We are people prone to sin. We are people comfortable with our sin. And the truth is, we cannot see the beauty of God's grace if we first don't see the reality of our sin, that sin is both the rejection of God and his kindness towards you. That Israel's mistake was they were trying to hide their sin under their luxury. They were trying to cover it up, mask it up with other things. That on the outside, Israel looked attractive and powerful and they had their entire life together. But on the inside, they were a complete mess. And their hearts found idols to worship. That in this passage, they worship the idols of luxury and comfort and power and sexuality. And I love how the great American poet and philosopher Winnie the Pooh said, he says, sometimes, sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. Here's the thing. That tiny part of you 
that loves your career more than God, right? That tiny part of you that strives for money and power more than holiness, right? That tiny part of you that values receiving way more than giving. All of those things, even tiny things, they can grow to adult-sized idols that take over our lives and drive us to love other things, to devalue people and not see and treat people the way God calls us to. And ultimately, they lead us to withhold mercy. And it's a failure to love our neighbors as ourselves, which is injustice, according to the Bible. That we make idols out of our careers and monies and families and all number of things, we give them a higher priority in our hearts and lives than God. We fail to trust God and we trust idols more than Him. And while none of us are probably perpetrators of mass injustice, all of us in some form or another are guilty of injustice, are guilty of withholding mercy to others. And the Bible calls us to love God with all that we are, all that we have, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And to strive as we might, we come up short time and time again like Israel, right? Israel knew better. Israel had the law of God, the commands of God. They had the prophets of God. They had the miracles of God. They had the Shema they would pray that reminds them of God's love and their love for neighbors. They had all of these things. They were called to be a people of justice and mercy and a light to the nations. Yet instead, they practiced, instead of practicing justice and mercy, they chose selfishness, sin, oppression, and injustice. Time and time and time again, they chose comfort and fun of sin over joy and intimacy and grace and mercy with God. They played with their sin more than they praised their God. That's what Amos is getting at. Israel, you look like you have it together, but the reality is you are a mess. And so Amos chapter two, we actually have to hold it up as a mirror to ourselves and ask ourselves that hard but important question. Do you see your sin, saints? Like, do you see your sin genuinely, saints? Do you see your need for God's grace, for Jesus, for the gospel to transform your life, right? Do you see your sin? What's God's response here in Amos 2? Look what he says next in verse 9. This is God saying, God saying, Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were tall as the cedars and strong as oaks. I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years into the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. God says that Israel, even though you've been faithless generation after generation, I have been faithful to you generation after generation. That when you were in Egypt, I rescued you, God says. That that Israel, when you were oppressed, I freed you. When you were enslaved in Egypt and stuck in your sin, I freed you. Right? Amos is contrasting the character of Israel to the character of God. That, that little phrase, yet I, is powerful. That Israel, they were weak and needy, and God showed them mercy. And now that they are powerful and strong, they withhold mercy to the weak and needy. And God says, I am not like you. I am not like you. I rescue you. Saints, Has God not done the same for you? That you were dead in your sin, weak and needy and poor, and Christ rescued you. 
God says, not only have redeemed you by my grace, but he says, I've given you gifts, Israel, right? That, that, that God says, I gave you the gift of the land. I gave you the gift of prophets. I gave you the gift of Nazarites. I gave you gifts. And yet every gift oftentimes comes with a responsibility, right? Maybe growing up for you, you really wanted a puppy. And so you went to mom and dad and said, hey, mom and dad, can I have a puppy, right? And your mom and dad probably had that talk with you about responsibility, right? You're going to feed the dog, take care of the dog, wash the dog, walk the dog, all those things, right? And so you get the puppy. And four days later, what happens to the puppy? You completely forget about the responsibilities, right? Mom and dad are taking care of the puppy. Like I know for me growing up, actually 10 years ago, my wife and I, we hit that stage in our relationship where we want to take it to the next level, right? Our commitment. So we got a puppy. Uh, yeah. So my wife grew up with small dogs. I grew up with large dogs. And so we compromised and got a large dog. (laughs) This is me confessing here, right? And so we got the dog four days later. Hey, honey, can you take the dog out? Right? We love the gift, but we don't always love the responsibility that comes with the gift. Every gift comes with responsibility. And God gave gifts to Israel that we see in Amos chapter two. But what did they do with the gifts? They rejected both the gifts and their responsibility. And ultimately, they actually rejected the giver of the gifts, which is God himself, right? That that God gives prophets to Israel. Prophets are those who are called by God to speak the heart of God and the will of God to the people of God, right? And Nazarites, those who were dedicated as children to live countercultural lifestyles, to remind people of the holiness of God. And so the prophets show the heart of God in the will of God. The Nazarites show the holiness of God. But what does Israel do with those gifts that God gave them? They say, prophets, don't prophesy. Nazarites, break your vows of holiness and drink wine. In other words, they wanted the prophets to shut up and the Nazarites to lighten up. They wanted to turn down the volume of conviction in their lives. And don't we do the same thing? We feel the sting of conviction. We put walls up. We we get defensive. When someone accuses us of something, we go to the ammo shed and find other accusations we can lob back at them. We do this in our marriages and dating, our relationships and at work and with random people on social media, right? All is a way to falsely justify ourselves, right? Israel wanted the prophets to shut up and the Nazarites to lighten up. And here's the deal. The prophets and the Nazarites, they were not uptight religious people. They were just holy people. And they cared more about the fear of the Lord than the approval of man. Would you rather be rich and sinful or poor and holy? Right? Do you strive for holiness? Right? Israel, and like us, we tend to overvalue the material and actually undervalue the spiritual, right? Look what God says in verse 13. He says, now then I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, says the Lord, right? God gives them gifts, but instead of embracing those gifts, they decide to do it in their own power and strength. 
And so they build up the swift, the strong, the warrior, the archer, the soldier, the horseman. They trusted in what they could buy more than what their God could give them. They trusted in the material more than the spiritual. They trusted in their own hands more than the hands of God. They trusted more in their power than the power of God. We do the same at times, that God gives us his grace. He gives us his kindness and his mercy, and we are so quick to forget his mercy the next day, right? I love what it says in verses 11 and 12. It says, is this not true, people of Israel? Right? Another way of saying it, has God not delivered you, saints? Right? Like, has God not delivered you from sin, saints? Right? Like, has God not delivered you from oppression, saints? Has God not delivered you? He says that over and over and over. Has God not delivered you? Because we are prone to forget the ways in which God has shown us mercy and grace and delivered us. He has delivered us from sin and oppression. Jesus has done this for us. That now we can walk in freedom and help others walk in freedom. That we were once weak and unable to save and rescue ourselves. We, like Israel, were trapped in Egypt, but God. Jesus, the innocent one, was sold for a few pieces of silver on your behalf. Jesus was denied justice and falsely accused in corrupt courts so that you can have life that the Son of God became oppressed and trampled on it so we could be free, right? Jesus laid down his life, becoming a sacrifice on an altar called the cross so that we can have life. That Jesus, he drank the bitter wine, had his garments taken, that he was crushed by our inequity and sin, that the weight of our sin was on his shoulders, that Jesus died naked on a cross for you and me as his strength bled out. And God didn't leave him there that God raised him from the grave, that he who became sin on our behalf gave his life so that you and I might receive his mercy and righteousness and grace, that he himself is example of justice and mercy. Has God not delivered you saints? Right? It is so easy to, to not see our sin and it's so easy for us to cheapen grace. And here Amos reminds us of both truths, that until you see the reality and the bleakness of your sin, you will not fully see the grace of your Savior. Until you see your sin and name it and confess it and bring it before him, you will cheapen his grace. And the call of God in Amos 2 is for us to be a people to see our sin and to see our Savior. Right? So much of us want to become like Amos. We want to pursue justice and mercy. And here Amos chapter 2 is saying, oh, time out, time out. You want to be like Amos? Truth is, you're more like Israel. You have too much of Israel inside of you. You need to see your sin and to see your, the grace of God in your life. So how does this connect to justice and mercy? I believe pursuing justice and mercy is actually a call to live faithfully before God and neighbor. We're called to live faithfully, pursue holiness before God and pursue love for neighbor. And I fully believe that the more you begin to see your need for Jesus, the more you can see his grace and depend upon it, the more you will fill that pool to become people of justice and mercy, which ultimately leads to more worship, which is the goal. It exalts and glorifies the Lord. Right? Jesus even says the same thing, that with greater grace comes greater responsibility. In Luke 12, he says, 
from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one uh, who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Christ followers, you have received the mercy of God in Christ. And you are now called to steward that mercy on behalf of others. You are now called to pursue justice and mercy on behalf of others. And he gives us his spirit to empower us in this. Do you see your sin? Do you see your need for Jesus? Does it lead you to repentance and to worship him? Amen? Let's pray. So Father, you are so good, way more than we deserve. And you show us your grace in thousands of ways every day, none of which we deserve. But you are good and holy and righteous. And you invite us into an intimacy of relationship with you to be people of righteousness and holiness and grace and mercy to the people and places around us. And time and time again, we fail, Lord. We fail. So Jesus, we just come before you and acknowledge that. Lord, free us from preoccupation with self. Free us from sin. Help us to walk in holiness and brotherly love with the people around us. We thank you for your ultimate example of Christ on the cross who gives us grace. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.